Welcome to the Unblocking Crypto Podcast. This podcast is not financial advice. It's meant for entertainment purposes only. These are just the opinions of a couple of rambling wrecks. Welcome back to episode number 74 of Unblocking Crypto. Hal, great to see you as always. Another exciting week in crypto. We are going to talk again about BlackRock to start with. BlackRock was in the news last week a lot talking about the ETF side of things. And they, on the 3rd of July, they had to resubmit their ETF because the SEC took issue to it. So they needed, I think, almost another supervisory security vendor, and they chose Coinbase for that. So Coinbase got in the news again for, for that. And I think almost everybody else that had followed BlackRock's lead kind of did the same thing as well, Fidelity and all those guys too. So BlackRock continues to somewhat dominate the news. And I think even Larry Fink spent quite a bit of time talking on the news about what his views were with Bitcoin in general. Yeah. Yeah. So Larry Fink, who historically hasn't been pro-Bitcoin or pro-crypto, basically spent 20 minutes or so on Fox Business talking about it. And it was such a Bitcoin-friendly segment. They started it with the S&P chart and like S&P is up 15% this year, you know, the economy is looking strong, et cetera, et cetera. But Bitcoin's up 83% this year. And uh, that's how they led into the Larry Fink conversation. You know, he, BlackRock put in this ETF application into the SEC has been big news and I, it's making everybody pay attention. So it's pretty funny. I thought that the interviewers did a terrible job because you know, they asked, you know, some like, how long will it take for this ETF to be approved? And like, he can't talk about that, even if he did know. But if he knew it, that mean that he'd have insider information that the SEC guys would be telling him under the table. So, but he's, look, man, this guy's a founder of BlackRock and the CEO. I guess, guess he can handle himself in a, in a poorly run interview. But he said some good stuff. I Like, yeah, BlackRock's not a great organization. Like, let me, let me do all the the justification of this is not financial advice and I don't like BlackRock in, in principle, right? But just analyzing this this interview, he did say some good stuff. You know, they, they do what's right for long-term investors. And he's a believer in the digitization of products, which I thought was kind of like, hey, your iPhone digitized a lot of products, right? There, It's just a black hole that's swallowing up the entire digital camera industry that's swallowing up the uh i mean everybody my age had a ti-83 ti-86 calculator my kids won't we're not going to do that right like uh so the digitization of products to me and that's what he was mentioning and that's what he was referring to he didn't say all of that but that's kind of how i took it um he spoke at the that kind of level it was it's kind of like you have to interpret what he says because he's only on there for for 20 minutes or so he did mention you know more tokenization could revolutionize finance and then about five minutes later, he mentioned, you know, Bitcoin and crypto can remove the intermediaries in the financial transaction. And so like putting those two sentences together, I think he sees, oh, we're going to be, you know, we're, they're talking about digitizing some of us, right? Some of the financial advisor piece could be digitized and eliminated. So, you know, you talk about Bitcoin as a life raft for the devaluation of currency and inflation and people can jump off of their currencies and into the Bitcoin life raft. I think maybe he sees it as like, I, we need to be a part of this because it's going to be, you know, we don't want to be Kodak and get and get rocked. And it's actually, he did go into that conversation about being a, an early skeptic because 
you know, he probably heard the same stuff that all these other people talk about illicit use, drug use, you know, like all that crap. And he said, but now it's more, it's, it's digitizing gold. And for people in countries that where their, their financial assets are being devalued or their, their currency is being devalued, you know, this is an international asset that people can use to play against inflation. And so, you know, he's having that like, you know, like phase two Bitcoin realization that like, oh, this isn't just a, a little fun digital thing that nerds are using, uh, that the price goes up and down. You know, he's starting to see the real future use cases. And, and he even said, we're not there yet when he when he was talking about this stuff. So he's he knows he's trying to get ahead of something. BlackRock has $8.5 trillion. So under management. If this brings in another hundred billion and some, you know, if, if 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 this is a venture capital type of move for them, I think they're fine with that. But he he said, you know, they're fiduciaries; they've got to do what their their investors want. He said uh, he thinks that because they can basically bring the incremental price, not the incremental price, but the individual price of a share of the ETF, that those that that could help. Uh, democratize Bitcoin so that it appears cheaper so that more people can get involved because we still I guarantee that there's double digit percent of people are like Bitcoin's too expensive for me right like you have to own a Bitcoin and so you know he, he said that there's a big bid ask spread right so it's kind of you got transaction costs to buy Bitcoin but also you know you're you're you got a spread that's not closed yet so if you're getting in and out of Bitcoin, there's transaction costs that they can help reduce. So, there, you know, he did say some pretty good stuff. Uh, he even said, like, the foundation of BlackRock is about hope, which I'm like, hope, you know, like that's a Michael Saylor word. You know, when he talks about Bitcoin is hope and he owns hope.com. Um, and so that's, you know, all that stuff's kind of interesting. Listening to the guy talk, you know, and, and you know, he's not wearing devil horns and he doesn't have a pitchfork and it's not through the translation of some journalist who's writing an anti-BlackRock article. You know, it, it, it sounded like, hey, this is, a, this is a smart business decision based on macroeconomic environment. Um, he sees another 1% of rate hikes coming, which is going to squeeze banks. It's going to squeeze commercial real estate. And so, you know, all of that was kind of, you know, he, he talked about kind of the macro economy. He talked about, they, it was actually funny. He said, you know, they talked about printing money and they talked about the Inflation Reduction Act and the Infrastructure Act. And he's like, all these acts are going to bring a ton of money into the economy. The interviewer was like, well, they already printed a trillion dollars and some say that was too much. And Larry Fink's like, yeah. And, you know, that money is just now entering the economy at the same time as dot, dot, dot. And the interviewer interrupted him, interrupted him while he was about to go down this this line of, of thought that was actually pretty interesting to just kind of derail him and ask him where he thinks we are, you know, and he's like, we're 5% into this money, you know, flooding into the, uh, into the economy. You know, like I said, it was a fairly poorly run interview, but Larry Fink handled himself pretty well. And like, he didn't try to go back to that, which I would have liked to hear what he had to say there. But yeah, man, uh, I'm not a big Larry Fink fan. I'm not a BlackRock fan, but like if I was talking to my cynical friend who's cynical about everything, and I was like, hey, if you want to front run BlackRock on Bitcoin, now's probably a good time. And he was like, oh, BlackRock's, BlackRock's, uh, they're liquidating real estate in their REIT. You know, they're, they can't because, because it can't pay its, its interest, its interest expense. I'm like, come on, man. BlackRock doesn't have a, an interest. Like they're going to pay their bills. 
or they're going to, or if they don't pay their bills, it's because that's the financially smart thing to do. I was like, I, I tried to find it. It was like a $3 billion liquidation. I'm like, if they lose 20% on this, who cares? You know, this is not a, this is not black BlackRock's concern. Like BlackRock won't feel this. The BlackRock REIT will feel this. Um, but it, you know, I was like, but I told him, I was like, look, if you knew that BlackRock was going to spend a billion dollars in a real estate segment that had a $500 billion total value, would you buy some of that real estate before they did? Because I would. And so uh, th to me, that's kind of what you got. You got the opportunity to buy some real estate in an area that BlackRock's about to go into and buy stuff up. So the price is going to go up. There's no way it's not going to go up unless this doesn't get approved. But but like you mentioned, you know, the SEC told them, hey, you need a surveillance partner to somebody can watch this and make sure that the underlying asset Bitcoin isn't being manipulated offshore. And then that's going to screw U.S. investors because the SEC doesn't have any any authority out there. And so they kicked that out. I guess it was the second of July or something. The next day, they're like, yep, Coinbase is our partner on the surveillance issue. And then the next day. Wismtree, Vanek, Invesco, Arc, Fidelity, Grayscale, everybody had the same uh, response. So like, I mean, this is like skiing in, everybody seems to be skiing in the BlackRock wake. That, that's the way I see this. And so, you know, uh, you know, back, Bitcoin's got two sides for me. It's got the, I own some Bitcoin in the short term. It would be great if it uh, appreciated in US dollars and it kind of makes me feel like I'm right. And on the other side, it's like the whole Bitcoin is freedom, poor people need Bitcoin, all of that. But man, everybody's known about Bitcoin for 10 years. If you're if you're waiting for for BlackRock to get in before you do, uh, that's your that's your fault at this point. We'll, 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 I'll probably talk more about some of the Bitcoin, what's going on from a mining perspective and people acquiring Bitcoin in a little bit. But come to your point where BlackRock is that sub $10 trillion of assets that they have that they're trying to almost get into Bitcoin. If you look at the top 10 spot ETFs, there's somewhere in the 27 plus trillion dollars worth of assets held by those 10 companies trying to get into this spot ETF. So yes, Black, BlackRock is a big piece of that. And I agree, they aren't the best company, but it's almost kind of the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of thing. And they're helping with the whole SEC being a huge problem at this point, but I mean, there's about to be an avalanche come in and it will be, when you talk about front running it, there's really not much left on the exchanges. <laughs> so it's right. gonna be a problem. And the biggest worry that I think a lot of people have, and hopefully this will get taken care of, is making sure the Black Rocks of the world aren't printing paper Bitcoin, right? I mean, hopefully everything will be put in place to where there's actually real Bitcoin held in place for all these spot. ETFs, because if there's not, then you're running into the same issue that you had with FTX. So I mean, for, for the majority of people that they need to have at least something held personally on their own private keys, not rely on the Black Rocks of the world to do that. Yeah. So I actually listened to a podcast of a guy who runs a spot Bitcoin ETF in Europe, and he said that every day they're constantly buying and selling Bitcoin and having to put it in their and their wallet. and so their ETF is constantly adjusting in, or constantly being, I think daily, adjusting to be in line with, you know, the buying and selling of the, of the ETF. And it's cause he was like, yeah, this is kind of a, a tricky thing. I can't just lock up my private keys in a, in a vault somewhere. Like I need to use them every day. And so 
that was kind of an interesting to think about is that somebody's going to have to manage this. I mean, I know I, I get stressed out about moving Bitcoin around, uh, you know, once or Much twice smaller a month. <laughs> once or twice a gonna... year. <laughs> Way smaller amounts. Uh, and so somebody's going to be sweating to move Bitcoin around in those ETFs every day. Uh, that that was kind of interesting to hear. And he thought that, that, that there's like a 10% chance that this Bitcoin, get, that, that, that the BlackRock Bitcoin ETF gets approved. I, I just feel like uh, the cynical side of me says there's just so much inside baseball between the SEC and BlackRock and all the, you know, once once you stop being a millionaire and start being a billionaire, you just start to learn stuff that other people don't learn and you get information that other people don't get. And, and I think that's part of this. And that's part of why I'm, I'm I would lean towards like they're going to work this out, kind of, you know, and, you know, when I talk about billionaires knowing stuff, uh, Michael Saylor bought another 12,333 Bitcoin. Uh, he dropped $347 million to pick it up. So that his total is now over 152,000 Bitcoin total. And his average price is 29668 And so it, I, I saw a, a thing that, you know, he was buying a couple hundred Bitcoin or hundred Bitcoin, kind of tr moving it in. It looked, it appears as though it wasn't a, a over the counter trade. It appears that he was using an exchange. So, but he's got to have an algorithm that buys so that it doesn't just jack the price up too much. But he was buying at the exact same time that uh, the BlackRock ETF news broke. And like, what a coincidence that would be. You know, I mean, yeah, he buys, he, he, he buys with MicroStrategy money fairly often. But like in April, he bought like a thousand Bitcoin. But in June, when BlackRock ETF news was dropping, he bought 12,000 Bitcoin. Uh, so to me, you know, you need to, whatever, you need to be a little bit of a conspiracy theorist because, uh, it seems like you can be right a lot more often these days. And so for me, it's like, yeah, um, one, it's just nice to be like a little ahead of these money movers, market mover types. Uh, normally, you know, they make decisions and then it becomes a good idea six or 12 months later. Now I made decisions and six years later, they're starting to make those moves. Yeah. And there's some uh, kind of tying into that a little bit. There's a, a lot of interesting news going on in the stablecoin side of the world. So I don't know how much you paid attention to it, but Japan's new bill just can't went into effect for stablecoins on June 1st. And now Circle, which owns one of the largest stablecoins out there, is kind of intrigued to create a stablecoin in Japan. Because uh, Japan seems to be embracing this whole concept of crypto in general and stablecoins as well. So they are kind of exploring on if it makes sense to do some sort of stablecoin in, in Japan. Um, and it was, I guess the reason I bring this up is speaking of the SEC, Mark Cuban and one of the, I think, ex-SEC commissioners kind of got into it on Twitter. And Mark Cuban pretty much called him out and said that, the SEC was the reason that everybody lost their money with FTX. And if you look at FTX Japan, what Japan had done was they had required a separation of crypto between the business accounts and personal accounts. So nobody in FTX Japan lost or no customer in FTX Japan lost any money because they had that in place. But that was not the case in the U.S. or, or any other location as well. So it, it's kind of intriguing to see how Japan is looking at things differently and his whole point was go go look at Japan. We need to be following more in Japan's footsteps. And right now they're turning into one of these leading companies in crypto because of what they're doing. No, I, I totally agree with Mark Cuban. I think that 
uh, I think that the reason that uh, a lot of people lost their money with FTX is because FTX was run by people who thought they knew what they were doing and that they could outsmart everyone else. But I think that the the retail investor, your average investor, got burned because of the lack of regulation that and, and the lack of, uh, of urgency that the SEC has put on this because it is the Wild West. They are just letting the wild west be wild right like their job is to go tame wild wests in the investment sphere and they aren't doing it so that's mark human's not wrong there because if if it's so easy to just separate uh customer assets from business assets especially when everything's digital right i mean that's it's it's not free but it's close to free and ftx was a multi-billion dollar you know, company that that could allocate people to to do that, and you know, once you're once you're once you sign the paper that says you're a fiduciary and you are responsible for your customers' assets or jail time, uh, you, you take that pretty seriously. So, I think um, you know the lack of the lack of that is a huge reason why the FTX was just basically gambling with other people's money. Is because they could if they if Sam Bankman-Fried signs papers that say you can't. You know, he's just kind of a young, he's like a young um, savant. He doesn't know regula- banking regulation stuff. You know, he, he's like a computer nerd that plays video games. So to me, uh, as, yeah, SEC, to say they're at fault is weird because they didn't they didn't pull the trigger on any of that stuff. But yeah, I mean, they, they allowed it to happen. Yeah. So some other interesting news too. One of the Nebraska's former head of economic development went on trial or, or testified in a trial talking about that Bitcoin mining helps lower property taxes and also helps build out more renewable energy. So it was interesting for that to come out in a court and for him to say, this is how it's actually helping out people or residents in that area. So it's, we've been talking about Bitcoin mining for a while now and how there's a lot of benefits and even JFK, uh, sorry, Robert, RFK uh, or whatever. What is is his name? Robert, Robert Kennedy Jr. Yeah, Robert Kennedy Jr. He's he's actually been kind of pushing that Bitcoin mining is not as bad as what everybody says it is, right? And I mean that's a message we've tried to explain over and over again on this podcast as well. Yeah. Uh, so Texas had a heat wave come through. They predicted that energy prices would go over a thousand dollars a kilo uh, megawatt hour, and they predicted rolling brownouts and blackouts. And then if you look at the Bitcoin mining hash rate, it takes a big drop as miners pulled their mining rigs offline power prices didn't exceed 300 dollars a megawatt hour and i don't think they had if they had rolling if they had brownouts and blackouts it was nothing like they predicted uh so yeah all that excess power that's just being consumed uh comes in handy during you know high power demand situation so uh texas texas gets it man uh i think I think they've seen, you know, when they saw what happened in that winter uh, storm several years ago when they don't have enough power and the renewables aren't online. And now they're seeing that if you have Bitcoin mining using that much, that many megawatt hours, and then they can just shut off in a second the value that that it brings, even if you're not, even if you're like, I've been in the power industry for 15 years, like I get it, right? Um, But even if you've never been in the power industry, you you can kind of understand that they you need to suck up this energy like as soon i think some people don't understand that you can't 
you can't store electrons without a battery. Like the, when you turn your light switch on, they're not, they're not just waiting to, you know, waiting to come through that switch and into your light bulb. You know, that, that excess demand has to be addressed on the supply side. It, not instantaneously, but pretty close. And so, yeah, the ability for hundreds of megawatts to come online just because then there's a phone call from uh, from the the regulators from the grid that says, hey, we need more power. And you can say, no problem. What do you need? 50 megawatts. Okay, click. 50 megawatts just came off of my demand, came off of my rigs. And that's 50 megawatts that you can use. And, uh, you know, uh, I'll... They, there's an agreement such that when they're down, the the grid or the supply side will pay them essentially to not use the power so that they can send it to the grid and at, at a elevated price. So I mean it 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 works out like this is exactly how it works out and it's it works out without government intervention. This is like free market infrastructure level solution building. It's it's pretty freaking smart. Well, I was reading something about. The way that the founding fathers of the U.S. Uh, created the, the the government in in the U.S. originally, and the goal was to make it so complicated that they couldn't really do anything, and it was really the rest of the the, the market on their own that created all the solutions. And it's turned into Washington theoretically holds all this power, but they don't really hold any power. It's everybody else that's doing everything. Uh, I just they're kind of a, a fake powerhead where they they theoretically can do things. Other, I mean, they could press a button to nuke the entire world, right? But other than that, governments in general don't get much done. <laughs> they have to rely on small businesses around the, around the U.S. that are actually creating most of these opportunities. No, I, I, they're they're not good at doing stuff. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, free market entrepreneurs, you know, people that have skin in the game that can lose stuff. I mean. The, that they're good at making things succeed because if they don't, they go bankrupt and it's, it ruins them. When government does a bad job, I mean, look at COVID, like all the different things that were, were done poorly. Nobody even got fired. So yeah, the, the government employee stuff is, is, is real. I, I'm, they're great. They're good people. I, I don't think all of that, you know, all that kind of crap, but like they're not malicious people, but there's just no consequences if you do a terrible job or do nothing like it's just think, you don't even get fired i think most of them got bonuses which is kind of crazy but that's a whole nother issue so eight percent cost of living raise. <laughs> <laughs> so some other news i don't know if you saw there was a couple canadian teens that did a an attack and and kind of stole so almost four million or just over four million dollars of bitcoin and ethereum from a guy they act they kind of impersonated coinbase support and they were able to, to steal this much from the sky. Well, they, they were finally caught and the authorities up there ended up finding about 13 million worth of crypto that they had. Dang. Well, out of these two teens that got caught, one of them was charged with holding property more than $5,000 and the other one was released. So like after all this, nothing, I don't think really anything happened. And I don't know if that's just Canada or what, but uh, that's, you know, kind of crazy. Weird. There are some other, uh, I know I've talked about ZK rollups in the past and Starknet is one of those companies that is working on it. Uh, we've mentioned that it's still quite a ways away from happening, but Starknet is having kind of their next upgrade. And this next upgrade, one of the things that it's going to do is it's going to increase its uh, throughput, the TPS metric, right? Transactions per second. It's going to get close to 100, right? So 
talking about this being very early on, <laughs> the expectation is for it to be much higher than that and to kind of take everything on that layer two instead of being on layer one, um, but also allow a lot of these blocks to uh, their time to finality will get shorter too. So it's more than just a TPS improvement, but I mean, we're, we're still years away before this becomes hugely mainstream, but it's exciting that this stuff is still happening in the background. Okay. Yeah, bear market build stuff. Yep. So we talked a little bit about Bitcoin and having these huge ETFs needing to take Bitcoin off the market. If you kind of go look at Glassnode and see what's been happening, we may have talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but man, the amount of Bitcoin that the shrimps and the crabs are taking off the market is insane right now. So right now with the current reward system before the next happening, there's about 27,000 Bitcoin per month that is being mined. Right now, the shrimps, which is everybody that holds less than one, uh, they're buying, I think it's 33.8 thousand per month right now. So almost for every one Bitcoin that's mined, 1.25 of them are taken off the market into wallets. And for every Bitcoin that's mined, not one Bitcoin hits the market, right? Because a lot of miners hoard They're the Bitcoin and, and they, they operate in U.S. dollars and keep the Bitcoin. So, um, yep. yeah, I mean, it's the scare. We're, we're definitely headed towards whatever that squeeze is. Gamma squeeze when there's a shortage. Uh, uh, so, yeah, that's going to be um, that'll probably be the story for 2024, I think, is going to be. Uh, if these ETFs do come online, then you've got uh, lots of demand. And then if you get the happening happening in the middle of the year, you got ETFs buying everything up. And th like these these less than one Bitcoin wallets that are just constantly dollar cost averaging, they don't stop. If Bitcoin goes to 200 grand, they still dollar cost average. They're 200 bucks a week or whatever. You're headed towards something. Something interesting is going to happen next year. Well, even the crabs that are the between the one and 10 Bitcoin they're still buying over 22,000 a month. So almost just as much as being mined. So, I mean, you're talking about more than two Bitcoin for every one mine that everybody is buying. And when the mining reward gets cut in half here in what may of next year, April of next year, whatever it's going to be. I mean, yeah, the squeeze is coming for sure. Yep. And then I think the, one of the last things I had that was kind of interesting and maybe scary at the same time. So Vitalik, who is one of the founders of Ethereum, one of the largest still ones that's there, he was on a podcast recently and was asked about how much of his Ethereum he staked. And he said that he staked a very small percentage because he was worried about the security of it all. And mm -hmm. it... It was funny because Charles Hoshiskin, the founder of Cardano, said he had to watch it multiple times just to make sure he heard that properly. Because he's like, if it's done properly, there should be no issue with all this. Charles pretty much takes 100% of his Cardano. There's no reason not to, right? Yet Vitalik is saying, I'm only going to stake a small percentage just because I'm worried about security. So it was, I mean, talk about red flags. That was one of the ones that I think sent some shockwaves through a lot of the communities wondering what is going on if one of the main founder from Ethereum is scared to stake his Ethereum. He's the number one reason why I don't buy Ethereum. I, I, I don't like looking at him. Like when he says stuff, I don't like what he says. I like, you know, like uh, he's just he's just not the guy I want in in charge of uh a large percentage of my net worth. So 
Uh, I own some Ethereum that I bought a long time ago, and I'm not going to sell it because you know, you know every everything that's not Bitcoin is a lottery ticket for me. So we'll see if the sum of them pay off. Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm a, I wouldn't say I'm a huge Ethereum fan anymore, but I still think it's going to be very successful for the long term. But yeah, he he worries me as kind of the face of Ethereum. That's not the person that I want out there making decisions and talking to people. But no, I listen no to a lot of podcasts because I drive a lot and I'm just kind of tinkering around at the house a lot. And I just have an ear pod in, AirPod in listening to podcasts. And I'll listen to hours of people talk about Bitcoin. And I'm like, oh, you know, man, that wasn't great, but it wasn't bad. And, you know, I listened to that guy talk on a podcast or two over the last couple of years. You listen to him talk for an hour, like in a dynamic social situation where he's coming up with answers on the fly. Uh, not confidence building to me. Yeah. Luckily, he's not truly in control of Ethereum. <laughs> so that's the good news. <laughs> awesome. Uh, I know there's some other stuff we could definitely talk about, but uh, I think that hits the majority of it for now. Anything else yep. that you really wanted to chat about? Oh, no. I mean, I think that's good. I think uh, I, one funny thing on that Larry Fink thing, he said, uh, that he's not talking about ESG anymore. He's like, the left wing hijacked it and we're not doing enough. So they weaponized it against us. He said the right wing weaponized against us because we're, you know, uh, because it's detrimental to, you know, the advancement of society and energy consumption and da 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 da. He said, but we just don't talk about it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so I did forget to mention that. But other than that, I, yeah, that's good. I'm good for that. Yeah, that's, that's probably a good thing. Awesome. Well, Hal, great catching up as always. And we'll talk again next week. Sounds good, man. Thanks. If all of these crypto conversations leave you with more questions and you're looking for answers, I've created a product that dives into most of those answers, including why crypto, how to set up a cold wallet, and some of the more advanced strategies for dealing with crypto. Check the link in the notes below and hope to see you there.